0: And it all comes down to this. 2 on, 2 out. Bottom of the ninth. The Farmers lead by one. Full count. Here comes the play at the plate. And it's the Agview Pitch. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Agview Pitch and we're starting a new week of marketing again and coming off the holiday. Uh period the last couple of weeks and you've got Chris Barron and Dwayne Lowry here uh, how's things going Dwayne did you survive the holidays
1: yes I uh, had my share of uh, uh, holiday treats so uh, I survived
0: good 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 yeah now now we can start the workout plan right um,
1: how's that spelled again
0: workout oh yeah well I'll talk to you later about that we'll get to the gym maybe we can yeah, do the next the next podcast from the gym how's that sound
1: well, that would be all right. Just Exactly, where does Jim live? How far would I have to travel?
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, well, it sounds like we better talk about that on another, another discussion. But uh, uh, let's let's get uh, get right into the markets uh, here. Uh, you know, we're heading towards a pretty big uh, report. Historically, every year is a big one on on the tenth on Friday. And uh, but before we get to that, uh, I want to ask a couple of questions. You know, coming off of last week. We had we had uh, you know corn and beans both under pressure at the end of the week and and you know um, I think you said offline you know we were starting a little bit of a, cor- a correction so what does that mean you know we saw saw pressure at the end of the week but you know beans were still up a little bit for the week I think and you know and corn um, maybe down a little bit for the week what's that what's that all mean going into this in, into this new week. Well, I'm not
1: surprised that we're experiencing a correction here in front of the report. The question then becomes, you know, what's the depth of that correction going to be? I'll say it this way. Corn um, with uh, settled about six cents off of last week's high on Friday and uh, settled at March corn, settled at 86 and a half. I would say there's uh, a lot of support between 80 and 85 And so I doubt if we're going to see weakness that's greater than five to seven cents from Friday settlement in corn. And whether that turns out to be two cents lower or three cents lower, I'm not sure, but I would classify it as probably not likely to be very deep. Um, As far as uh, beans are concerned, we uh, uh, experienced about a 24-cent break or so Mm -hmm. from uh, last week's high, which was made on Thursday, to uh, Friday's low. And we settled um, Friday at approximately 20 cents off of Thursday's high, which was last week's high. And an argument could be made that um, the next uh, major support level in beans is still another 20 cents lower than Friday's close. I wouldn't argue with that. I think that's probably an accurate assessment. Um, markets don't always go to the, their, quote unquote, major levels of support when they get a correction. Um, I think it's important to point out that uh, soybeans have been gaining on corn as kind of a an overall major trend since May. And after we had a sizable correction in everything, which was kind of uh, a, also a very notable correction in that bean versus corn spread uh going into uh early september beans have re- remained um, strong versus corn have been gaining on corn and <clears throat> we can experience a correction in that spread and i wouldn't be surprised we could lose uh see beans lose 10 cents or 20 cents to corn on a short-term basis but i think the major trend in beans is going to be for beans to gain on corn and so um Even though the major support in beans is 20 cents lower, I doubt if we get into that. But it would not surprise me at all to see beans test out support that's about a dime below Friday's settlement. And it wouldn't surprise me to see that happen um, before we get into Friday's report. I'm more interested in trying to figure out, will there be a corrective theme to the marketplace that extends into next week? In other words, extends past the report. And uh, obviously, that's going to depend on what the report says, and none of us know what that's going to to say. But when when looking at the amount of correction that we need to put in, it's very possible this correction. um, I would say it's highly likely the correction will be over before we get in corn, before we get to that report. I think it's probably not going to be over in wheat until after the report. I think it may not be over in beans, possibly Mm -hmm. until after the report. Who knows? Um, market can be on a very, fairly fast track. I mean, we we took $0.24 cents off of the market in, in a day and a half in beans, and we took $0.06, cents, which was the biggest correction we've had for quite a while in corn. We did that basically in one day. So um, we have some more uh, corrective weakness that we're probably going to experience this week. Um, I don't think it's going to be that deep, though. I, th- I think I've defined... The, the bottom side of that correction, and I really don't think that we will test that bottom side of that correction.
0: Okay, uh, so you know, as we head towards the report, you've kind of described some of the things that that are likely. But what when we get to this report, I know you know at this point anyway of this recording, there's been very little, if any, and, and essentially almost none, <laughs> in terms of people uh, predicting anything as far as what the report might show and you just said nobody really knows but are are we going to have to expect some fireworks one way or the other and if so what should we be doing as producers to either protect ourselves or to um or do we just you know ride through this wave and get to the other side of it or or what what's your recommendation here or what what's your idea I guess I should say rather than a recommendation
1: that's a lot of questions wrapped into a yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know holiday box here um okay um i think we should expect um a better than normal chance for fireworks and the reason i say that is every january report has a greater probability of fireworks than other monthly reports and typically every january report gets a lot of respect from the trade and the trade um knows that they can be surprised the difference this year is normally by the time we get to a january report we already feel like we've largely got the story okay and the marketplace has made bets and so with those bets come greater chance of of volatility um, this year is different in that i honestly don't think that one we have the full story and I think we're going to get that in this, uh, this week's report. I think the marketplace isn't sure whether we have the full story, but they've come to accept what USDA has offered over the last three or four months. And uh, they are. have a combination of fear um, for this USDA report and the, the lack of conviction on whatever idea that they have and the fear has a lot of people on the sidelines and probably have been on the sidelines for some time, and I think that the um, that creates a situation where maybe we wouldn't have the volatility because we don't have as many people involved in it. But the reason I think we're going to have the volatility is because the last four months the USDA yields have hardly changed from month to month, and I view that as more of a not addressing the situation as opposed to actually addressing the situation in the uh, normal uh, sphere that they would in October and November. Um, this year, everything was so late. Harvest was very late. Crop development was late. Harvest conclusion was late. And, and um, some of our friends up north have not yet finished. Um, in my travels in Iowa this weekend, I only drove uh, 75 miles from home and I saw three combines in the field. So I was surprised to see that. Um, granted, most of Iowa is done. I'm not trying to imply otherwise, but I am trying to imply that the, the harvest has been very extended. And I don't think USDA could get a good handle in October. And I think that uh, they've t- made the decision that they were going to have this resurvey take place in December, December, the largest resurvey they've ever done at that time of year. And uh, I think they largely decided to wait for the January data. So I think now is when we're going to get their real assessment of 19 production. Um, I don't think we really got their full real assessment in those earlier months, which we normally would have. So I think that increases the chances that we're going to have something more dramatic and more significant um, in, in the January report. So that's just my way of thinking. I think I'm in the minority on that view. I think most people feel that USDA is probably not gonna change their January numbers very much. And I think that's um, uh, fostering a certain level of complacency. And I think that complacency is um, being stacked on um, uncertainty and, 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 and a lack of willingness for involvement. And that seems to me to be a setup for surprise. So I'm gonna expect some surprises here. Um, just to put in perspective, Again, we don't know what this report's going to be, but I think it's important to, to look at what, how little it takes to make make the report quite significant. You know, you've got bean carry out at 400 and, um, basically 475 million bushels from USDA in their last reports. I doubt if they're going to make much for adjustments in demand based on the China trade deal. I, based on their history, I don't think they'll make that change and still, until they start to see – business associated with that trade deal um, and then they'll do that so I doubt if we'll get a lot of changes for demand but I think what changes we do get demand will be for improving demand um, during the uh, growing season and going up into the fall season there was a lot of uh, number crunchers that uh, uh, suggested the harvested acres in, in corn could be or two or three million acres less As we went through harvest and we have problems up north, um, I don't think that possibility has become any less possible or any less probable. So if you have 3 million less corn acres, you're talking about 500 million bushels possible difference. You know, you take three bushels an acre off of that, you've got another 250 million bushels. So suddenly the carryout becomes important. Same situation in beans. You don't have to change. I doubt if they're going to change harvested acres very much, but um, you don't have to change yield very much to suddenly have an impact on that carryout situation. And I think it's um, everybody has a different perspective on this, but the beans that we're using from USDA for a yield right now is 46.9. That's 3.7 bushels an acre less than last year. And um, I talked to people with a, a very large footprint across the Midwest, a lot of different areas, get feedback from a lot, you know, a lot of those are people I don't know, but there's also a certain circle of people I know that real well, and I feel like I get uh, accurate information from and the full picture. And I think there are many, many, many Midwest growers uh, from multiple states that their bean yields versus last year are down 3 more than 3.7 bushels now how does that statement ring in your ears
0: uh, <clears throat> I would say that's consistent with what we see you know I, we've talked about it in previous podcasts our our client base on average I mean we have some exceptions to this where yields are actually better but um, for the majority if you look at it on average for our client base as of right as of today and we have more to, to visit with yet but we're we're off right at about um, about nine, nine to 10% right in there. Um, so 10% off, I guess.
1: So that's, would you classify it as oh. roughly six bushels an acre?
0: Yeah. I mean, that'd be pretty close. Um, five to six, I would say off of last year from what we see with our client base, with our cross section of the, of the world.
1: So, you know, that, that's two bushels an acre, uh, greater than what USDA has plugged in. If that happened to be the, the the correct theme for the the total, as seen by what USDA tells us, the correct theme it would be, that's uh you know 150 million bushels of supply less than what they have plugged in. All of a sudden now you have got carryout down to 325 million. Um, that's pretty significant when they when they haven't even addressed the demand side yet. Um, you do the same exercise in corn. USDA has yields plugged in at 9.4 bushels less than last year and I would say there are many 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 producers across the midwest that are more have a bit larger decline from last year than that and many key acres from key states that are you know double that for a decline now how how does that compare with what you see
0: yeah i just looked up we're about 11 or 12% off i'd say probably 12% hits it close on corn
1: Well, you're talking
0: 20,
1: 25 bushels uh, an acre, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, and they're at 9.4. I I can't Hmm. make that compute. Maybe I'm going to be forced to accept that because that'll be the end of the story as far as USDA is concerned. And we're going to find that end of the story here uh, Friday, and maybe that's what they're going to tell us. But I am strongly inclined to believe that they're going to lower that yield number and I don't I think they could end up lowering it by a decent amount enough of a, an amount to be a, a surprise to the marketplace. that's that's my thought. Um, and I I don't necessarily see that as fighting USDA in terms of fighting their last four reports because I think by some of their own wording reading between the lines and and the fact that they came out with this big resurvey in December to me, tells me that there's not a lot of conviction behind their own numbers when they were released in November, October, September, and August. And um, I don't think they knew a lot and had all the data that they normally would have to produce that. So if I'm sitting here expecting a number to be quite a bit lower than what USDA had, I don't feel like I'm fighting USDA because I don't think we've really seen USDA's uh, true assessment on this. And I think the the fact that they are doing this December resurvey. I read that as confirmation they don't really know what they have. And I think that we're going to, they're going to make every attempt to give us a, a, a very clear and firm picture here in January. And if they tell us it was, we're only down 9.4 from last year, then I'll accept that. But in, until we get the, their, their typical final assessment here in January, um, I'm not going to expect that figure that we've had the last few months to remain. I think there's going to be a a sizable adjustment. I want to address one thing else, uh, which I've addressed before too. Um, People will say, yeah, but the farmer's yields were better than he expected. And that is, I think, a fully accurate statement. But he, he never expected USDA's yields during that growing season. He always expected those numbers to be worse than that or feared that they would be worse than that. And when he finally got his yields, um, they still ended up being sizably below last year, even though they were better than expected. And so I think there's a big difference between comparing something to be better than expected versus comparing something to actual yields from the previous year. That's just just my thought. So um, we, we have a lot of potential to, you know, create a new narrative after friday's report will we i don't know but the potential exists
0: um another part of that uh long question i asked you too. um just the the last part of that question was you know as we go to this report what is what if anything should we as producers be thinking about are there any tools we should be considering to use to manage any risks, should we, you know, and and, and I'm talking including, you know, some, you know, should we be looking at some basis stuff? Should we be looking at some short dated options? Are there any tools that, that might warrant us for some consideration, particularly those of us who may have grain in the bin and, um, know, not that there's not a plan for it, the plan is to sell it at a lot higher price, but the problem is is to get there, you know. So, is there any anything that we should be doing or could do to protect some risk during during the report timeframe?
1: Well, one thing that I think uh, I'll get to that, but one thing that is important to put in perspective leading up to this, I think the farmer in the last um, couple of weeks, a few weeks, has been a a seller of beans, and I think that was driven by the fact that basis levels have been very firm in beans. Futures have uh, been uh, the spot futures this last week exceeded the uh, highs made in the summer of this year. In fact, we got to the highest spot future since June of 2018. Add that onto the fact that we have better basis um, for nearby bids now than we've had at any time. Probably going back into uh, this June of 18 or before, probably long before actually. So, we've had, we've, the farmer has seen the highest cash price for beans that he's seen in, in uh, approaching two years here. And I think the farmer has sold a lot of beans. I think that was driven by uh, the, the price levels attained. I think it was driven by the lender who was pressing the farmer to liquidate some inventory, turn it into cash get it off his balance sheet uh, so they could prepare for financing the 2020 crop. Um, So I think the farmer probably has lightened up on some of their bean ownership here. Uh, To a lesser extent, I think the farmer has been a seller of corn, uh, but in relative terms, I don't think near as much. Um, On the other hand, during harvest, the farmer um, sold some corn on on some strong basis bids early, and I think they were selling some corn later in the part up. Harvest as well, <clears throat> so I think that to some extent the farmer has reduced his risk exposure a little bit. But looking at it from a here now, from here forward, um, in, for, in terms of protecting oneself, um, I think it depends where you're at. Your your protection could be in in making some sales here, um, even though we had a sell off on Friday. That would be one point you could do. Another the other choice you have is uh, looking at uh, buying some puts and if you wanted you know this, this the uh, easiest way to to uh, get some protection, it's probably some combination of buying puts or buying puts and selling calls uh, that might create a, a, a limit on your upside potential. Um, but I think that's pretty much it. I don't I don't think there's another way to reduce your risk. Um, some people could take the approach that beans have rallied so much in relationship to corn that maybe they're selling the beans and going to hold the corn, um, you know, that m- might be an approach, um, anything that reduces your exposure versus what it is today would be, you know, something to consider. If me personally, if, if, if I had somebody that really, really wanted protection through this report, didn't like the risk, I would find, uh, some put options to purchase and then, um address whether you're going to keep those puts or what you're going to do with them after the report was released but I would say that's the best level of protection you could you could get
0: well yeah for some for some operations that might be a good option because if there's a high percentage of grain in the bin and there's the quote-unquote hope for higher (laughs) prices you know in a lot of cases we're just not in a position where I think especially on corn we're uh, at least from what we've been seeing with a lot of clients, that uh, growers can make sales quite yet until we get maybe another 25-ish cents or so for a lot of growers. I mean, there's exceptions on either side of that as well, but it's just getting getting some level of insurance policy going into this thing in case, um, you know, this report were, were to come out you know fairly negative if, if that were the case, if it, if it comes out fairly negative or fairly positive, what historically does that give us for a trend? Does that, that, does that kind of set the tone for quite a while historically, or what's, what's that tell us, or do you have that off the top of your head, Dwayne?
1: I, I don't know if I can back this up with data, but I would say that, yes, that sets the trend until the, the next part of the typical fundamental outlook after this is becomes an acreage discussion. Right now, and probably for the previous six months, the trade has looked at acreage 2020 through the lens of expecting very large corn acres at a time where the market doesn't need corn acres, and they expected, through much of this time frame, um, adequate enough bean acres because they perceived the market didn't need those bean acres. The most significant uh, development that could come from this Friday report would be to change that narrative into one of Excessive. We don't need these many corn acres theme to an acre to an acreage battle theme, and uh, that is. It might sound far fetched, but that's not really that far fetched, and it doesn't take that dramatic of a change in these reports on in January to create that. We, obviously, we don't know if that's going to happen, but I would say coming out of this report, um, if you wanted to, to know what does the most extremely um, shock element come from, I would say it would be if we end up having numbers that produce an acreage battle theme, and uh, so I think that's something to look for. Going back to this whole discussion about puts, if you've got the physical inventory and you decide to use puts for protection here, if the market got various reports and the the market theme was negative, um, in that environment, I'm sure basis levels would be trending firm and higher which would offset some of your risk in the futures market and by having those puts bought you have you know addressed um your your risk in the, in those in the futures decline so that that's another reason why i would come to that conclusion that if you want a protection i would look for some uh strategy that of, of buying puts to to do that
0: um one last question Dwayne, and we can kind of wrap things up and, and I'm sure we'll have a conversation the day of the report to kind of assess, you know, on that, on Friday, um, after the close, but, um, is there any, any outside things, you know, I mean, we've talked about demand and all kinds of other stuff that, you know, are, are, you know, cause we've been talking about the report the whole time of this, uh, podcast, but, um, with all the stuff going on with base bombings and all this stuff going on with terrorism and things in the world, is there anything there that is like a black swan that we need to be aware of that could jump into the marketplace at all, or is that not anything to that you see potentially? I'm just wondering, is there any other black swans? We're talking about the report, but is there anything else out there that is a watch out?
1: Well, with the latest developments of what's been going on with U.S.-Iran, um Etc. cetera. Um, I don't see those as potential black swans to the grain market. And, and um, some people might be trying to equate Friday's weakness to uh, tensions in the Middle East. Yeah. I don't buy that argument at all. And <clears throat> while I understand that possible reaction, I don't think it makes any sense. Some people thought that uh with this escalation in with Iran that China would back out of their trade deal i see 0% chance of that occurring and the and the reason i see it is cuz i looked at that whole trade deal completely different i looked at it as at something as very real i looked at it at it as china moving dramatically towards President Trump's position and giving up a lot of ground to get that trade deal. And I feel they did that trade deal because they absolutely needed it to do it for economic reasons. And I also think they absolutely needed to do it for food security reasons, not just near term, but as a general picture moving forward. I don't think there's any chance that China would back out of a trade deal that they absolutely needed um, for the benefit uh, to support Iran. Iran to them is nothing more than an opportunity to get cheap oil supply because Iran can't sell it anywhere else. Um, I don't see any strategic alliance that would cause them to get out of a trade, trade deal. So, to me, that part of it has virtually 0% chance of being a black swan. In terms of um, what the future holds for escalation or stabilization or whatever it is with Iran, to the extent that it would be escalated and it would would affect crude oil prices and energy prices. And if energy prices were to be trending higher based off of that and what happens in the future, um, I don't see how rising energy prices is negative agricultural commodities or probably commodities in general. In fact, I would see it as exactly the opposite. That would actually be something supportive to commodities in in the global pricing scheme. So I look at the, the Middle East tensions and um, I want to say that there's no impact in agricultural commodity price valuations. And if there becomes an a impact on it, it, it will only be uh, bullish based on the, the price of energy and the price of crude oil. Um, so I don't see that as being that. As far as other black swan events, um, I did think there was one bit of a news item. I think it did occur this last week where China came out and said they would accept uh, a couple of more uh, GMO varieties for imports, and they also are allowing expanded use of GMOs in their seed industry. And I don't know to what extent that is, but once they take a, a step down that path, the only conclusion that they're going to have is to take more and more and more steps down that path, which will be to increase production. I would argue that if that is indeed their end game, again, that points to a situation that's probably rather dire. They would only be going down that pathway if they felt they had to increase production. And I think there's a strong argument to be made uh, that's developed over the last you know, decades that uh, they're on a pathway where they need more um, food production. And this is one way that they're going to try to uh, increase their domestic production. And to the extent that you were asking about a black swan, you know, the one potential black swan is they eventually get down a pathway where they're, where they're able to maximize their production on their own acreage. I, I'm not smart enough to know what that impact is on their overall demand, consumption, et cetera. Uh, but that could be something that's coming down the road where we're going to see uh, global production go up because China's going to embrace some uh, GMO, a greater use of GMO seed in their own production Uh, but that again is not something that's going to affect this near term and so you know I guess that's why it's a black swan nobody expects to see one but I don't see one based on on your question here
0: really. Okay well I appreciate that and you know I think you know the main thing this week is we get get through the markets kind of see what (laughs) things uh, materialize this week and this and get the tone of this report on the table so that we all kind of know what we have to deal with and maybe consider some, in, uh, some level of insurance potentially on, on the risk that's on the table, or at least take a look at that and, and think about, you know, where your, your margin opportunities are at, or maybe they're where they're not at and, uh, figure out, you know, what we each need to do in our own operations. Um, I think we've pretty well covered things as we get to the report at the risk of, of, uh, there being a whole bunch more stuff. Is there anything else, Duane, that I didn't ask about or that we should uh, hit on before we kind of wrap this up?
1: You have no idea how much risk was wrapped up into that question, Chris. <laughs>
0: um,
1: in this particular case, yes, there is one, another thing I want to mention.
0: Um, we don't know what I, we did, put... I didn't guess yeah. there would be one more thing.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we don't, we don't even know how many more one mores there are, but we'll start with just this one more.
0: Um Okay. We don't know
1: what the report is going is to be. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. And um, But l- let's just, uh, f- for humor, if nothing else, let's just say that we get a striking change from USDA, and we get numbers that offer lower yield, lower harvested corn acres, and no matter how we come about this, we end up with lower carryout levels. And let's say that we get a fairly notable amount of reduction in carryout. Uh, here's what's going to happen: the marketplace will quickly want to take whatever these figures are and and be fearful of the uh, carryout level getting even lower based on the China trade deal. They'll want to be fearful of the carryout getting lower based on the quality of the. 2019 corn and the, the feeding use and it may take more of that feed to, to, to get it so you have that storyline will immediately go to an acreage battle storyline and the markets will, will begin to elevate and this is what i i think this is very important actually if we get to that scenario i think it's very very important that the farmer um, take a big picture step back view and say what am i dealing with and i think that what the he should be expecting, or preparing for, or hedging against, or whatever, is a is a, is a situation where um, 2019 production uh, crops and 2020 production crops end up peaking early in this 2020 calendar year. And I'll define early as being sometime in the March-April timeframe, where typically the marketplace is anticipating. Peaks in sometime in May or even more likely in in June. I think this year a producer should take a bullish report and start mapping a strategy that has him liquidating his old crop inventory, getting that stuff priced by mm-hmm. March, April, and having a strong um, price protective stance against 2020. That may not. That may be cash sales. That may be puts. That may be uh, hedges, um, HTAs. Who knows what that looks like. But um, after we get a bullish report on Friday, if we do, that's going to be my next mission is to try to target people in on developing a mindset that they're willing to be a seller um, in the strength that evolves from that rather than thinking Well, if the crop is this short, then the summer's growing season is going to be that much more important, and I'm not going to sell anything for 2020. I think that would be a mistake. The other thing that would happen if we get bullish numbers out of this report Friday is you're going to see spreads tighten, at least in corn, where the strength comes in the old crop. The new crop strength will struggle. doesn't mean it can't come, but it will struggle. And in the case of beans, um, typically the strength is led by the front end under this scenario. On rare occasions, I've seen strength led by the new crop. If it becomes an acreage battle storyline like we've talked about before. Um, But I think it's just important to to basically end this podcast with the idea that if we get a bullish uh, theme from USDA in this report um, to to look at strength early this year to be seen as selling opportunities and you don't want to be the last one holding the bag in this year, because um, any bullish reaction in price between now and planting is going to lead to maximum acreage mix in corn and beans. Um, whether How that split, who knows, but it's going to be a maximum interest in that. And I think that um, if you look at numbers, um, that makes it difficult, or it makes it quite easy to very quickly go back to a a price concerning supply situation with 2020 production
0: well so and that you also my last statement <laughs> yeah and you also look at you know the last few years and in in 19 in particular when we had the most extreme planting conditions and extreme harvest conditions and everything and we didn't you know we got we got a market rally and then it it didn't last and and supposedly i mean this this report's going to going to tell us supposedly what what we need to know but you know the market's probably going to be less apt it's being trained to not to not rally on on trouble either right so if we have um, issues in the spring it's probably even less likely that we're gonna gonna see a rally um, than than ever before wouldn't you say too
1: well there's a couple of ways to look at it Uh, based on what you're saying i would absolutely 100 percent agree with that there is a cloud that was created in 2019 about the market's ability to respond to a, a production threat, and that cloud will carry over into 2020, and the marketplace <clears throat> won't trust um, a production threat. They'll say, well, shoot, we couldn't get a, a big enough decline in 19, and uh, it's going to be tough to get a, a, a weather market rally in you know, this year. I think that's exactly correct. Um, On the other hand, um, the fact that um, you have last year's wetness theme in your mind, and that's the most recent thing you experienced, the fact that you've got wet soils in a lot of those regions yet today, and the fact that over the next uh, couple of weeks, it looks like the eastern Midwest could get a lot of moisture again, um, it is also possible that if it starts out the spring season on the wet side, the marketplace might be fearful. It'll extrapolate into June plannings again, I would say, just based on history. The odds of that are not likely, but the marketplace might have that initial reaction. So who knows? Maybe the marketplace will be concerned about um, wetness in um, February and March, but to your point, I think the idea of a of weather production during, during the growing season once the crop gets planted is going to be more and more difficult to get.
0: All right. I think that's probably a, a good place to kind of wrap things up. Um, Dwayne, I appreciate the conversation. I think uh, this is going to be probably one of the most interesting reports we've seen in, in a long time. Um, and uh, we'll plan on having a conversation uh uh, probably be Shay having a conversation with you. Cause I'm going to be at TPAP in, uh, Texas. Um, but, uh, probably Shay having a conversation with you, um, on Friday after the market closes. Does that sound good?
1: Yeah. Uh, we'll address the report Friday afternoon and, uh, uh, we'll see if there are themes that will last for an extended period of time from that report. And, um, I'm I'm hoping for uh, the farmers' benefits that we get some supportive information from USDA. I think there's a good chance of that, but um, nobody knows.
0: Yeah, well, we'll look forward to that analysis and that conversation, Dwayne, and um, thanks a lot for everything today and your conversation. It was a good talk. All right. Thanks, Chris. You bet, and thanks, everybody. Uh, for listening to the AgView pitch, and we will catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the AgView pitch. As always, you can reach out to us at cbaron at agviewsolutions.com or Dwayne l at netins.net. We'll catch you next time on the AgView pitch.